0: Welcome to a wee bit of everything's very first live podcast webinar, whatever you want to call it. Um, certainly much different than our usual weekly podcast that we're used to, where we interview one guest and there's um, nobody there. So it can be edited afterwards. So the, the boys are going to have to be on their A-game tonight um, and keep it professional, which I'm sure you will. Um, I just want to thank you all for signing up to this in such short notice. It, can, it just goes to show you what the power of social media and uh, networking can do to get these kind of opportunities out here. Uh, For those of you that haven't heard about the podcast prior to tonight, myself and Clark started it at the beginning of the start, the first lockdown back in April, um, because we always kind of wanted to start a podcast, but had absolutely no idea what we were going to do it on. Um, But the lockdown kind of presented a good chance for us to start it, and it's just kind of snowballed and continued ever since then. And we've managed to kind of release one a week. Um, So the vision behind the podcast is to hopefully inspire, uh, teach, and entertain with the, the odd as a Clark's horrid patter, um, which I'm sure you'll get a dose of tonight. Um, I'll get you back. <laughs> and we've kind of been lucky enough to secure the guests that we feel reflect that vision that I've just shared. So the reason we started it was probably for the very reason each of you have signed up to us today, and it's just to try and learn as much as we can from the guests, and ultimately to take actionable points away from each episode that we can um, apply within our personal and professional lives. So that's a wee bit of background information on the podcast and why we do it but I'll stop talking now and I'll pass you over to Clark who will give you a wee insight into what to expect tonight and then I can let some more people into the, the webinar. So on to you Clark.
1: Right, thanks Lewis for that excellent introduction there uh, uh, to our first webinar as Lewis said so we're excited about it. Um, you've definitely saved your best introduction there Lewis for the live occasion so well done. Uh, before we go on, to introduce the guests. Um, a wee plug for our partner. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience. We offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad, and they provide unforgettable experiences for our young people. Um, I've been on a few trips down south, and I know Arm has as well. I'm not sure about Johnny, but they're really really good trips, um, and the young people take a lot, a lot out of sure. it. So I'm going to turn back to normal times um, to try and get involved with some of those trips that uh, they really are um, – positive for the young people so be sure to check them out on twitter at premiership experience right on to tonight so first of all thanks for everyone for giving up their time tonight to come on and be a part of our interactive webinar we want you to leave here feeling inspired uh, to take action uh, to develop your vision of PE and what that what quality PE looks like and hopefully gets you thinking about your practice um, as well so we're more than confident what, what Arm and Johnny have to say mean that this will happen and hopefully you'll learn more about the demands of National 5 and higher um, and also learn more about the wider school ethos um, which johnny has been able to create at Beeslack Academy in Mid- Midlothian Council. Uh, when I mentioned earlier and Lewis spoke about it as well, about it being interactive, we do mean that so get involved tonight if you've got any questions that spring to mind then just ask, uh, we'll have time at the end hopefully for a very short question and answer. Um, but this chat function is available to ask questions throughout the webinar, so please ask away and we'll do our best to, to answer them either Arm or Johnny or whoever it is you're asking the question to, if it's myself or Lewis. So let's get the, the webinar up and running then. So, how are you doing, uh, Arm and Johnny? How's things? How's your day been?
2: Good, thanks. Enjoy
1: the snow. I was just talking about that there with me off camera. <laughs> Making the most of it.
3: Yeah, I'm good mate, I've not been out in the snow yet, but I'll be going out as soon as this is done and I'm going straight on the golf course, on the sledge, on my own. It's
1: <laughs> so. Make sure you take a head touch. <laughs> <laughs> right, so before we get into it then, uh, could you give everyone a brief summary on your careers to date? Um, we'll start with Aaron first and then we'll, we'll go to Johnny. So Aaron, take us away. Yeah, of course.
3: Um, I came into teaching quite late, um, I'm now 33. Which I know is not old. I'm well. It's not. It's not particularly old, but it's it's not your stereotypical straight into uni um, from school and then from there straight into teaching. Um, you know, I had a big sports coaching background for quite a while. Worked as a sport and fitness lecturer at Fife College for the best part of three years, um, both within the practical and uh, the classroom domains. And then from there, I decided that I wanted to do my postgrad at Strathclyde, uh, which I did beside yourself, Clark, and graduated there in 2015. Um, From there, I I was very lucky in terms of I had a placement at Madras College in St. Andrews in Fife, and then I got kept on as probationer, and then also as a full-time permanent member of staff. Extremely lucky. Um, My love for PE is genuine. I love educating pupils through the physical element in PE. However, having started a website for my higher class, which I was teaching in my second year, I was approached by SAT PE, the Scots Association of Teachers of PE, and was asked to share that website with them and if they could take the rights for it. And it was just a basic combination, compilation of different model answers to a range of different questions that could come up in the um, higher exam. And from there, I think through no choice of my own, I think that I've been associated with higher and national five P ever since. Um, since then, I've I've written, you know, I've been approached and written websites for the BBC Bike Size at higher, and finally at Hodder Gibson now. With this book that we're going to talk about tonight, as well as Madras. I've had experience at Queen Anne where I met some amazing teachers, Um, got experience in a different context, which made me much more rounded, made me a much better practitioner, and I'm now back at Madras and I'm talking to you guys tonight. Brilliant. Um,
1: You're involved with
3: SAP just now as well, aren't you? The Vice President, is that right? Yeah, so I, I led up the. National Qualifications Working Group, um, and I I basically create a Microsoft team for that. We've got over 600 teachers on it. You don't have to be a SAP member to be a part of that team um, if people want to be added to that. After this, students, of course, are absolutely allowed to. All we require is a Glow email address that's compatible with Teams, so if you want to be added to that, and it's just a place where we share resources, we provide some support, and we do a couple of moderation tasks as well, then by all means get in touch through the chat, leave your email, or I can leave your mine at the end, you can email me and get you added.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of the best things to come out of lockdown um, from a PE teaching perspective. I've learned loads from that site, so I would recommend you get on there. Right, Johnny, um, welcome to a wee bit of everything as well. So... Do you want to give a, I, wee, a wee rundown of your career?
2: Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I, I'm I'm similar to Aaron in a way. Um, I I started uh, I went down the sports science route initially, and I I worked in football um, as well, and came into teaching a little bit late. Um, 2009. I'm I'm 38, so I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm probably the oldest here. Um, so went to Murray House, but different from you guys. Did my uh, degree there, 2009. I did my probation year in Bonus Academy. So I was actually my fifth choice counsel, Falkirk, and I got, I got Bonus Academy. Um, really enjoyed the year, but there was no job there. And you know what it's like once you're in a council. It's kind of hard to, to change your, your authority because you're, you're known in an area, for better or for worse, and it's hard to break break into, you know, mm. sometimes where you live. So I, I got a temporary job in Braise High School. Um, I was lucky enough at the end of that year to get get a permanent job there. So I was I was there at Braes for for four years, and then the PT job in Boness where I was in, in my probation year came up, and I thought oh, I'll have a have a try at that. I probably have no chance of getting it. Ended up getting it, and I had an amazing like seven years there. Um, I was lucky in that I was able to kind of appoint all my own staff over that period of time. So it was almost like a whole new. De- department um and we went from offering like you know your standard nat four or five and higher pe to offering about nine different courses with a mix of like vocational courses and uh, creative and aesthetic pe dance um, and just started offering a load more for the kids and you know it was a really really popular department by the time i left and then in November, I kind of felt like I was looking for maybe the new challenge, and, and the deputy of curriculum came up at Beeslack, um, so I applied for that. Went through a, a hellish interview process. So I I'm, mean, I'm honest, it was really tough. Um, somehow got that, and then uh, was managed to work in person in the school for four weeks before uh, Christmas, which was brilliant. Um, so got welcome to the school. It's a lovely school. People are amazing there, and then lockdown happened and I've been doing it remotely like the rest of us. But the difference this time is it's, it's not having that class contact because I I took over from a deputy who didn't teach PE. So I don't have any PE on my timetable for the rest of this year. And that's been hard not having, you know, Mm -hmm. having that, that contact, albeit I know people get frustrated with the online stuff, but um, it's, it's been hard not having any kind of uh, a day-to-day contact with folks because, You know, I like that, you know, that sort of getting to know the kids and, you know, having a bit of a laugh laugh with them. So it's just been like meeting after meeting after meeting. So that's Mm -hmm. that's been a real challenge for me. Uh, So I'm looking forward to when the schools go back eventually to
1: getting back in. So you try and always teach a couple of periods of P a week then just to keep in touch?
2: Aye, well, you know, I was able to get a few periods in that four weeks just on cover and people out and things like that, um, which was great. But I, going forward, I'll definitely be taking you know th- about two or three periods a week of PE because I don't think you can. As a deputy, I don't, I, I don't want to criticise anyone who doesn't. But I don't think you can st- say to teachers. You should do this or that if you're not doing it still. You know, so I, I think it's really important to keep your hand in it, even mm-hmm. if it's a bit less. Um, I think I think you lose credibility if you're telling people to you know try this kind of teaching style or you know implement something new if if you've never had experience doing it yourself you know
1: yeah that's a good point so you've been a teacher principal teacher now a deputy so thanks for coming on I'm sure we'll, we'll get a lot of value out what you're going to say tonight as, as well as Arm as well so we'll move on then so before we get into some uh, teaching and learning questions um, we're big at a wee bit of everything and um, to be able to take strategies away for the podcast and action on them straight away in the classroom uh, and I know Arne, as well. That you're big on keeping it simple um, with your strategies, and this is something that we try to do in the podcast as well, uh, to try and bridge that gap between theory and practice. Uh, so off the back of this, then you have a book getting published this month um, on teaching and learning strategies within PE. What is the book about, then Arne? And then after that, kind of if you could answer how, like, what motivated you to do it? Yeah,
3: write of it sorry. Yep. So the the book, first and foremost, um, is is a textbook. It's it's not a content book. There is a number of different contents books already out there from you know John Miller, Janice Smith. You know, there's the BBC Bite Size website, there's that piece should note. So there's a lot of content out there now. We're now you know six years since the Higher PE came into inception. So. This year it is a book that's all about teaching and learning tasks that teachers can use in the classroom um, and pupils can also use at home to aid the revision. And what it effectively does is it goes through all the SQA mandatory knowledge and it provides a task against each command word for each part of the SQA mandatory knowledge. Um, As well as that, there are examples of a scenario for every factor. Um, accompanied with strategies on how to tackle them as a pupil, but also how to teach them as a teacher. There are also practice papers that schools can use for prelims or pupils can use to aid their revision and the build-up to exams. And then at the very back, there is also an answer section where everything can be compared to, um, to try and bridge that gap to check on learning. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the book rationale, as I said, that there's already multiple resources already existing. When I was first approached about the book, it was to produce a content book, but I think that's already saturated, you know, um, and I think it's really important now that we look at teaching and learning within the actual classroom. Um, don't get me wrong, I love PE. I'm extremely passionate about PE. I love the practical nature of PE. However, that's not where the major issue lies, and it, it's there in, in the facts and stats. You know, our national average and the performance over the last couple of years has always been predominantly pretty high. However, if you look at that 2019 exam national average, it, it sits at 18.3 out of 50. That, that's horrendous. That, mm. For me, that is absolutely embarrassing.
1: But 40% it must be.
3: It's well below mm. 50. You know, mm. that, that's, that's a shocker. And for those who are new to the profession, that's not increased. That's not decreased. That's, that's kind of been where we've been at since 2015, since that first exam. We've always been very low. We've always been certainly below half marks in terms of an exam national average. So that there straight away, that tells, tells me, tells everybody that there's something just not right there and that needs addressed.
1: Um, it's quite similar with National 5 as well, um, it's at 31 out of 60, so that's not actually too good either, it's probably just over 50% then, uh, so maybe it doesn't help the transfer of <laughs> moving from National 5 into higher, obviously there's a bigger gap again.
3: Yeah, I think I you think raise a good point there as well, I think the, the National 5 course and its assessment criteria and its assessment tools of the portfolio doesn't prepare pupils well enough for higher. I think, um, you know, sorry for going off the tangent a wee bit, but the, the National 5 course is much more in sync and in line with the Advanced Higher course where you take two factors through a cycle of analysis effectively. Mm-hmm. Whereas Higher, you could be asked about any of the four factors against any area of the cycle of analysis. It's much more complex, it's much more unpredictable, and it's done within an exam. Whereas the, the National 5 and Advanced Higher are done internally as a portfolio or a project. So the, the, the stepping stone from that five to higher, I agree. I, I don't think it's good enough. Um, the fact that sections two and three of the, the National Five portfolio are allowed to be done um, open book with some form of notes. Again, I don't think that lends itself well to pupils picking up and retaining knowledge that they could then use as a secure foundation to develop upon and hire. I don't think that's good enough um but as you say the the national average is sitting about 31 32 in the portfolio out of, out of 60 so therefore something's going wrong there mm-hmm. if you know you're getting two sections open book but our national average is just above half maps, that's very worrying for me um
1: maybe something to look at then so in terms of the book then um yeah. with the command boards, do you have tasks for each command board as well within the course on the book
3: yeah, so as, as I was saying, against each of the SK mandatory knowledge, um, there is a task against every command word. So if you like, there are five tasks for every single part of the SQA mandatory knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, If I was to give you a bit more of a rationale as to why we did that um, and why we made it a textbook, um, You know, yourself and Lewis were involved in, in a change leadership project I did Sorry, with five Council. Um, and in that, we, we found that From the feedback we were getting from the questionnaire that was carried out, teachers lacked a lot of confidence in in teaching in the actual classroom environment. Um, They found they were ill-prepared at university. Um, You know, there was not enough hours spent actually learning about the course content and or how to deliver it um, within a classroom setting. Everything was was predominantly practical based, which, by the way, I'm not against at all because we need to remind the P within PE, we need to maintain that. However, this is part of our course. This is part of our pathway. So there has to be better preparation there. So that's one reason. Another reason was that Hodder Gibson done their own research after I proposed to them that this become a textbook. And from the research they did, where they approached a, multiple, a multitude of PE teachers across Scotland, there was, there was a lot of confusion expressed by teachers. Even after John and Janice's book, about what the command words were, how you teach them, how you mark them. So that, that there was a lot of that, um, which again sort of that kind of stimulated the the st- structure that I used in the textbook. Um, I mean, there's more. I mean, with the SAP website, that model answers just to give the guys an overview. Um, as I said, that started off as my own higher class. His website where I just put up model answers for them to look at and compare and contrast. But to make it more accessible at a national level, we had to grow it because it was only the content I had taught my class. Um, going, you're going back several years now. But when I invited teachers and coordinated a task for teachers to get involved and in send me model answers, in um, I, I couldn't give you an exact number, but the vast majority of teachers in Scotland who sent me a model answers didn't get full marks. And that goes for describe questions out of the floor, where they weren't getting four out of the floor, all the way to analyse, where they weren't getting full marks there either. Um,
1: so what do you put that down to then? What would the main reason for that be, for them not accessing the full marks?
3: Knowledge. Yeah. What a lack of knowledge. And, and, and you know, that, that's not... I, I, I'm not being cheeky with that. Um, I'm just stating a fact in terms of the fact that I didn't study this course when I was at school. Um, you know, it was the old tyre, and I had to go away and, and learn it and I had to learn it like a pupil and that's why, you know, I, I know there's a few people in here, there's Claire, there's Matthew there's Jamie who worked with me as a student or a probationer and I make them do the National 5 portfolio because that's what I did um, and that's one of the biggest tips I could give the guys in here is sit that that 5 portfolio and learn it like a pupil
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, well, well, Just to jump in, I hope you don't mind What one of the one of the things that I happened when I went through uni, and I don't know how it's changed or if it has changed, but knowledge was almost like a dirty word. So I came from this coaching background where we were taught how to, like, drill, drill certain skills, you know, like repetition, gradual build-up, teaching people how to do skills correctly. Went to uni and it was all like, you know, don't talk to the kids, be a facilitator. You know, and it was all, it was all guided learning you know, guide discovery, let them work out how to do a layup on their own. And we're kind of going now 360 degrees with that. And we're getting back to, you know, actually have to instruct people, you know, on on, on how to improve. Um and I think that that might be part of the problem with, you know, maybe not knowing the answers, you know, for the the format, what Aaron's saying about the described questions. Um you have to you have to be able to frame things. You have to be able to uh, show people how to do them know how to do them yourself and then scaffold as opposed to cooperative learning and things like that. So, you know, we, we went through uni and it was all co-op learning, co-op learning, co-op learning, but unless you're highly skilled at doing that and you're not as a student, then, then there's going to be gaps in kids knowledge and your knowledge because, you know, to be, if you're delivering a knowledge rich curriculum, it means you have lots of knowledge. And I think, you know, there's probably a lot of us out there that came through a system where we moved away from having knowledge because it was all about, you know, task cards and, you know, tasks that kids could use to create answers. But then you're maybe not thinking about that. How how do you actually answer this question? How do you get full marks? And then, you know, that takes away from your teaching, I think.
3: Yeah, I, I can't, I can't disagree with that in the slightest. I think, the content knowledge is absolutely fundamental now by the way I'm not saying I've got all the answers because I certainly do not especially for higher P, don't there's things that I'll see and I'll go and ask people for advice you know I'm big enough to admit that um, and, and I'll do that um, but having that content knowledge is crucial because it's like Johnny said whatever teaching and learning fad or strategies kicking about at whatever time if you don't have that co- content knowledge, that teaching learning strategy or fad doesn't get implemented effectively. So the content knowledge is, is absolutely crucial. Um, you know. And, and by doing, I mean, what, what the textbook does is that, as I said, it's not particularly content-based, but it provides the opportunity for teachers to teach different ways within the classroom. There is a lot of direct instruction in there as well. However... Teachers must have the content knowledge to accompany it.
2: And and the the, the part for me that I think will really help the pupils because I've edited the book, so I've been able to I've been lucky enough to kind of read it. So the part I think that will really help is the uh, sample answers and the exam the exam part in the back. So the latter part of the book, Aaron has spoken really well about the the main body of the book, but at the end there's you know fully answered exams, um, you know which give you a clear understanding of where pupils have accessed, uh, where the sample answers access the marks. So I think one, that'd be great for pupils who are trying to work out how you can access full marks, but but also for maybe younger staff, because you could get, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, you could get a higher class in your probation year or the year after. You know, if you get put in a small school or, um, you know, a two-person department, you, you could have an at 5 or a higher class um so i i think it's really important that you get that content and you understand what what is a four mark answer what is a you know how how does what is the difference between explain and evaluate um those are those are important skills that you should try and get get a grasp on
0: really early uh, uh. I think to kind of elaborate on what Arne said as well, something that was really helpful for me, because on my probation year, I was um, team teaching a, an Aesthetics Nat 5 class and a Games Nat 5 class. So I actually sat down and um, wrote answers through the portfolio for Aesthetics and for Games, just so that I knew that when, that was that helped me for when I was teaching it, because I always had those examples, I feel like, that I could always refer back to. Um, and that just helped me teach it in my, my kind of first year of doing it. Um, so I thought that was a good point as well, Aaron, for that. To
3: be honest, that, that's how I learnt it. Like, I genuinely learnt it through, you know, like I said, I've not got all the answers, but the, the knowledge I do have was by actually learning it as a pupil, you know, um, and, and going to people who I can trust to give me accurate feedback. You know, going to Ian Stanger, who is a principal assessor, going to Russell Emery, who's a team leader, actually going to people with knowledge to give me knowledge um and and that was how I learned it and that's one thing I would always recommend that students do and it's certainly something I encourage if I'm ever mentoring a student um within a PE department
1: Mm -hmm. I just just finally just before we finish off this one I I haven't even sat higher as a pupil um so I left after fourth year but the biggest thing for me you're talking about content knowledge that is really important but the biggest thing I learned from I think it was during the SAP PE Zoom meetings that you organised, On was you need to know the standards. You need to know what a mark is. And that's something I had to go away and really work at for National 5. That's the kind of, that's what I teach. Um, what I'm starting to team teach higher this year. Um, and it's just a process that you go through. Then you have to put the work in uh, to really understand what, what is a mark. So it's a good bit of advice out there for you from what the boys are saying. So moving on then.
0: Sorry, I was just um, admitting someone else into the, the chat there. Right, Johnny. So, uh, Aaron, thanks for kind of, sharing your motivations behind, um, obviously, the new book that you've just kind of written. It um, seems like, obviously, teacher confidence within delivering classroom lessons was the, kind of, the main drive behind it. So thanks for that. Um, Johnny, a question for you. In terms of the kind of, current climate with online learning, could you maybe pick one or two strategies from your school that you've had success with in recent weeks And maybe share the kind of impact this has had on pupil learning and how you would maybe measure it as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's been interesting because when I was in lockdown one, I was still doing the principal teacher role. So I I was really, really tunnel visioned on what was going on within my departments. And I was just trying to make sure that we were doing the right thing for each year group. We were consistent across the year groups. Um, And we were doing what we were giving the kids the best experience we possibly could. And then... In this role, um, I'm in the school two days a week and I'm working with the the kids that are in the hub. Um, and it, and it's, been, it's been quite fascinating seeing it from, you know, the whole school picture and seeing it from the other side. And what I mean by that is um, all teachers in classrooms have like idiosyncrasies, you know, in their normal day-to-day teaching. And kids can deal with that a lot easier um, when it's in the classroom, just because they go from room to room they can maybe ask a, bit, ask a bit for help, things like that. But when it's online, it's it's actually really difficult. And, and one of the challenges that we face with the online learning is that we had a number of parents phone um, and we noticed it in the hub as well about the, the real differences between different teachers' teams. Even wee things about how, how the team was laid out and how the teacher might go around, you know, putting announcements out or, or putting work out. And then you have all the different formats that can come out and see for your, your kids that are maybe struggling a little bit with, with the whole process. You know, having to do a PowerPoint for one teacher, uh, you read a Sway for another teacher, do a Microsoft form for another teacher, a Word document, uh, an editable PDF. It's overwhelming. And so what we're, what we're working on now is we're working on, we're trying to create a similar layout across all teacher in the school's teams uh, to try and make, make it more structured and simple for the kids. Um, it's hard to kind of describe it, you know, in this forum, but essentially what we're looking to do is create like a, a general channel that um, any kind of announcements and any relevant information the class teacher has would go on. A channel for asking the teacher a question so that that doesn't maybe get your, your general channel doesn't get clogged up with, with questions. Um, a channel that's going to be just for the meetings, so for the live lessons, And then a consistent approach to using the assignments tab. So all assignments, learning intentions, you know, what needed for the task would be within the assignments. And then using the files section of teams to have everything, everything from previous weeks in that section clearly labeled so that if pupils have been ill or are behind, they can access that. Um, And in terms of measuring success, you know, what we'll be doing is seeking feedback from the staff first because you know you'll often hear people saying it's it's really important that we're people and parent you know first and we have to keep thinking of the pupils and parents but really i think i think if you put staff first in all these types of things you get the kids get a better impact because if the staff are happy with what they're doing and not getting asked to do things that are you know difficult or, or a massive imposition on them you know they're, they're more likely to put their all into it um, and, and we've got an engagement tracker in the school, like I'm sure many of, many of your schools do. It's, it's a, a simple way to try and, you know, track the engagement of kids. And, you know, being honest, it's it's been a pretty sketchy experience so far uh, with, with uh, the online learning. And we've had some kids buy straight into it. Unfortunately, the kids that do well in class are the ones that are tending to buy in online. Um, so we're trying to think of ways all the time that we can you know up engagement and that's one area where we you know we got a bit of feedback and, and I had never thought of it before you know just being in the sort of class teacher PT mindset of you know let's just get our work up doesn't matter what the others are doing but I, I never thought about how overwhelming that could be for for the pupils you know and especially pupils that maybe struggle anyway
0: yeah, I think that's a really good point as well because it's that mm-hmm. consistency and it's the same as if it's like that in a school as well it's going to have a better outcome for the pupils they know what to expect every time they go to that class if all the teachers are singing from the same hymn sheet with um, like maybe the way that they greet the kids into the class and things like that I suppose it's the same yeah. on the virtual platform as well it's a good way um, of looking at I've, it I never even thought of that.
2: Mm-hmm. No and, and I, as I said I'm, I've obviously had a lot of experience and I never thought of it until Until, you know, it got brought up to us this year. And then when you go into the pupils, you know, views on teams and you see, you see 42 outstanding assignments and things like that. And see, as a parent, you just think, wow, where would you start? Where would you start dealing with that? And um, if, if, if we could create a bit of consistency across, across the school, um, you're, you can you never make it so uniform that people are feeling like, you know, stuck with it. But yeah. at least if the layouts were the same on all the teams, I, th- I think the kids would get a real benefit from that. And, it, you know, it would make the process a little bit easier because who knows how long this is going to go on for, you know? You know, if, if we're looking at getting 5 to 8% of kids back at 22nd of February, if you do the maths, when's the whole school back? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh-huh you know who knows so the online will be a, f- a feature of things to come for you know the near future so
1: see just yeah. in terms of setting tasks johnny mm-hmm. um for any advice for anyone that's listening uh, and tonight i know some staff in the department i'm working in put all the work up at the one time as you says maybe trying not to do or have a consistent approach and um, so would you <laughs> just recommend putting it up just before the class would normally start if they were following the timetable
2: so it depends on your school. So in our school, in our senior phase, we're doing that. So our senior phase are following the timetable, and and the work would go up as as and when. What we tried to do in the BG was to try and spread how the work goes out in the week. So the, every kid in S one gets three subjects a day. I said eventually, same in S two, same in S three, um, so that the work's getting put up. You know, in a more even. You know, so it's not everything going up at the one time. So we kind of felt like. If everyone puts the work up on a Monday, Monday period one for the first year.
1: it's <laughs> So stressful. Aye.
2: So, so that, the way we're doing it is it spreads over the week and then each kid gets one live interaction with a staff member as well um, after the work's gone up. So either on the day of the work going up or the day after.
1: I um, got you.
0: It's just been making constant tweaks, isn't it? Like learning from the
2: first I, lockdown
0: and then just trying to make it a wee bit better. But I think we've had much better engagement with our pupils when we if we give them, if it's a written task and doing it via like a Microsoft form, like yeah. I think that's a much more simplistic way to um, give them the written task and then you can give feedback under each of their answers versus them uploading a Word document and then you've got to try and set a plan how you're going to give the feedback just in the wee box at the side. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. Things like that as well. Um, Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Johnny. That's something I've definitely took a couple of wee bits there from, especially with the channels that you said, where the the pupils can go on and um, ask a a question so it's not on the general homepage Mm. and it ends up getting lost. So that's something I'm going to take away from this and certainly implement into my um, classes online. But Aaron, I suppose it would um, make sense if we asked you then about some specific strategies from your book. Um, I believe you are going to share some with with us tonight.
3: Yeah, of course. what I'll do is I'll I'll just share just a, a number of them um, and I'll try and talk through why I use them and, and how I use them and, and the impact it have on people learning. Um, I think the the key thing is that, as I said, it's about classroom strategies. So whenever I deliver a National 5 or a Higher Classroom lesson, um, I try and go through four different strategies. I don't like to teach one thing the same way over and over again. It becomes monotonous, it becomes boring. But I do like to try and teach one thing four different ways. And then kids are learning about it from different angles. They're developing deeper knowledge. They're using different problem solving skills. And they're also having to self-evaluate after every turn. And it just builds deeper and more rounded knowledge. Um, which therefore makes it easier to go in, you know, to their long-term memory and also to retrieve it as well. Um, t- talking to strategies with retrieve um, I mean retrieval practice. You know, I, I'll start every lesson with retrieval practice. I think there's a lot of people out there on EduTwitter who completely overcomplicate retrieval practice. It's an extremely simple product. Um, I keep hearing this term, low stakes. What, what do you mean by low stakes? What's a high stakes like you chuckling them out? Um, you know, it, it's just simply a quiz at the start of a lesson that, you know, revisits what they've done the previous lesson, the previous week the previous month, even the previous six months. One of the things that I did wrong the first time I taught higher P was that I blocked things and then moved on and never revisited them. So for example, I done data collection, August, October. I didn't touch it again until revision come March. The kids forgot about it. They were never retrieving it out of that long-term memory back to the forefront of their mind. So by starting with retrieval practice, it's very beneficial because it brings it out from the long-term memory back into the working memory and it's something they could actually develop. And and when you're doing the quizzes here as well, I think it's really important to note that it's not a big quiz. It's it's a case of you might just ask about an aspect of something that you taught several months before. So, for example, you might say, how many statements are in a SCAT questionnaire? I don't need to describe it. I don't need to explain why I used it. Just tell me how many statements are in it. Just a little thing about it. And then when you go over that again, um, you know, later on, after you're discussing the answers with the kids and you're checking and rechecking for learning and understanding, that's when wider conversations are right, needed. So it's got that number of statements. So how, how do you answer it? So wider, wider um, questions are facilitated because of that. Um, you know other retrieval practice methods that I'll use. There's not just a quiz, but sometimes I will just put a picture on the board and I'll ask the kids to write down as much as they can about that picture. So you know if you're doing goal setting, it might just be a target. And an arrow hitting the target right write as much as you can it's like a brain dump write how much you can about that. How much do you remember about that um, or I, I might chuck a, a quote that's debatable on the board, so I might say something like quantitative data is always better than qualitative data and I get them to to discuss that in their own heads, maybe discuss it with a partner and I think per share and, and write down what they how much they agree with that why they agree with it. Is there any areas they disagree with it? But what you're doing there is you're actually getting them to deconstruct the knowledge and they're breaking it apart. And by breaking it apart, it becomes thicker and more embedded. All right. So they're actually developing that deeper and more rounded knowledge. Um, so yeah, retrieval practice at the start, not just from the previous lesson. Go back six months. Go back three months. Go back a week um, to really make sure that you're revisiting things in just strengthening what they've done previously. Always having that forefront so they could retrieve it when they come to an exam. Um, you know, As well as that, with retrieval practice, a multiple choice. Um, I think the key thing there is that the options that you give in a multiple choice, I've seen some terrible multiple choice tasks where it's very obvious what the answer is. The kids don't have to think about it. So if you're given four choices and there's one correct answer, there has to be options there that are incorrect but are close. There has to be some sort of debate. There has to be something that makes kids engage in higher order thinking skills and compare and contrast. It must make them justify. It must make them evaluate. It must make them actually think about how, how's that better than that. And by doing that again, the knowledge becomes deeper, it becomes more rounded. And they're developing higher order thinking skills without really knowing it, that they will need in the exam. Um, you know, other strategies that I use that my go-to one and every one is is cold calling or the the no hands approach when asking questions you know i hate it when even in the practical environment i see teachers student teachers i used to be one of them um, simply asking a question and getting everybody to put their hands up and the same kid puts their hand up all the time how, how do we know what other people's are thinking how, how do we develop the confidence and the resilience in them other people's to give answers and actually learn from the mistakes and so actually engage in active learning where they reflect on what they said and correct it. So by using the hands approach, it actually makes pupils concentrate because they know that you could pick them, so they can't clown around with their mates. If you ask a pupil a question and they don't know it because they weren't listening, you make it absolutely clear, well, I'll be coming to you at the end and I'll repeat that question to you at the end. And that, again, makes them switch on. And after doing that once or twice, you get the focus of attention. Um, the, the big one that, that I really like um, in terms of an actual strategies is be the examiner and this is where your content knowledge has to be there and also your knowledge of what the standard from the SQA actually is what, what represents a mark and what doesn't represent a mark and why um, and, and how do you fix it if it doesn't so with be the examiner um, what you do is you would put say a four mark response so you put a question up that's out of four marks And you put an answer up that always gets two or three out of four. There's always areas that are correct and there's always areas that are incorrect. And what it makes it do is, you know, you could do that with people's doing it on their own. You could do it as people's working in pairs or even as part of a small group. And what they've got to do is they've got to decipher that. They've got to work out, right, where do my marks occur? Why is that a mark? If it's not a mark, why is it not a mark? And crucially, what would if that was me? What would I have to add in? Like, and without knowing it, they're actually developing their knowledge to give feedback too. Because, you know, you need to tell that person how they would improve that answer. So you're, you're developing more rounded individuals. And what I find with a lot of my classes, and you know, there's people in here who can back this up from across two different schools now. My pupils are actually quite good at knowing the standard. My my, my pupils know what a mark is. Um, They know what a mark isn't. So that then helps them in the exam because they know how much to write. There's one thing I hate is when I'm reading a pupil's answer. I don't know why teachers tell kids this. You know, I've heard the teachers tell kids, just write as much as you can. Write loads. Why? Why? Why are you doing that? What's the point? Teach them what a mark is. Teach them what a mark looks like. And actually get them to write the right amount, and then their time management improves, which therefore impacts upon them decreasing their stress levels. You know, um, so, so be the examiner is very important, but again, the content knowledge and the, the knowledge of what constitutes a mark has to be there, or it, it just falls apart. Um, you know, sorry, I know I'm, I'm still going on here, but I've, I've got a couple more. Um, Fire away. No worries. Um, a big thing for me is 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 linking things to life learning and work. Um this is great when teaching the factors impacting performance. Um so for example, when I teach resilience, whether that's the BGE by the way, when it's a sal or or where that's you know is part of the emotional factor at NAT five and higher, um is is I'll take it out of PE and and I'll put it back into what they might experience in school. And the best way to do it, and you always get the kids understanding of this, is what about that time you put your hand up and say a maths lesson, teacher picture, and you get it wrong in front of everybody and, and you ask them how they feel and they talk about, a lot of them will talk about embarrassed, they'll talk about not wanting to do it again. So that's a lack of resilience. And then you get your buzzwords in there in terms of you're not bouncing back there. You're not taking on board how to fix it and then you're not forgetting about it. You're not moving on. So you're stuck in there and therefore your learning performance doesn't grow. It's the same in sport. If you miss a chance in, say, football and you can't let that go and you keep dwelling on that, you're going to stop making attacking runs to get into space and actually finish off a cross. It links. And and by taking it out of PE and placing it within a different environment, you're actually strengthening. You're moving away from knowledge and you're developing understanding. You're going beyond pure knowledge. And you're getting that understanding as to what this factor is, what it looks like, and how it works. Um, you know, it, it, as well as that, the, the mental and emotional approaches, I'll always apply that to wider life. Um, I've still got former, student, former pupils now who come up to me and, and they'll actually talk to me about how they use deep breathing before an exam. Um, one who left school several years ago, bumped into them not long ago, told them to use deep breathing for a driving test. You know, you can use these approaches, these mindfulness approaches to help alleviate stress and cool your anxieties, not just in sport. It doesn't just happen when you're taking a free throw in basketball. You know, it happens across life, so use it. Um, and then, you know, it, it, as well as I, 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 I stick to the factors for a moment, the, 90% of the factors that I teach, I teach through the practical. Um, You know, as well as skill development, I'll just have them playing games. And, you know, when I see a factor occur, the game stops. And we talk about what factor it was. We talk about the situation that occurred. When did you lack communication? Oh, there was two of us going for the same boxer, Right, okay, there's your situation. Well, because you didn't communicate, what happened? Well, they both went for it and they bumped into each other. Right, so there's your impact on you. Um, and, and then what happened? Well, none of us got a clean contact on the ball and it, it bounced out, so we lost the point. Right, okay, there's your impact on performance. And that, that there there is, is your one mark in, in a factor impact on performance um, question. And it's just experiential learning. Um, so stop in the game when you see things. Get the kids going to the whiteboard, graffiti on the board. What happened? What did that mean? What did that, what that factor do to you? What then happened in the game? Get depth and specificity. To equal the mark, um, you know. And then the very final thing I would say is, um, you know, again I'm with Johnny. I think things like cooperative learning only works when the content knowledge of the teacher is there, um, because when the content knowledge of the teacher is there, there's a high chance that content knowledge will get passed on, or there's a higher sorry, there's a higher chance the content knowledge will get passed on to pupils. That makes cooperative learning tasks work. So when I'm doing cooperative learning tasks, it's always mixed ability groups. I try and keep it to a maximum of four. Um, some of the things you can do is, is one for you and one for me. That's when a question's on the board. Rock, paper, scissors. Whoever wins writes the odd sentence. Whoever loses writes the even sentence. Build a four-mark answer between you. Um, you know, you might put two questions on the board. One's described, one's explained. So the explained one is usually tougher. Right, rock, paper, scissors. Whoever loses does the explain. Race, same amount of marks available. Um, you might chuck a scenario up the board, and there's four points in it. Right, as a group of four, deconstruct that. The scenario break it apart. Who's who's got the knowledge there to answer each part? Who's strongest in each part? Who's weakest in each part? And then actually assign each person to it. Work in, work on your own, but then come back in so you've got that interdependence where you can actually discuss and share. So again, though, the cooperative learning only really works when the teacher and then the pupils actually understand the content. Um, you know, and then sorry, I know I said one final thing there, but just just always finish with something fun, and you know these are things that you know I, I've I've done the snowball fight one before. Um, you know, the, the, there's the PE pong, like beer pong, if you like that. We got from Alex Haskett, who's she had some fantastic resources um, and spoke brilliantly on this podcast previously. Um, you know, where we're throwing a table tennis ball into a cup that goes in, you answer the question. It's the first one to answer all the questions. What group answers all the questions? Um, you know, your very own Lewis Glell in there talking about, if you like, Google Maps when trying to learn how to describe. You know, pick a place, work, go with a partner, pick a place in the school, right? one person decide where that place is, the other person has to describe step by step with no justification how you get there to improve that use of the scribe. So, you know, I know you'll ask for one or two there, but...
0: No, that's what it's all about, though. There's plenty there that you've spoke about, and I think that's what that's why we do it, is to get those actionable points that people can actually take one or two things away and, and try. And I think the one, like, for, like when you're applying it to life, learning and work, that's something that you could can easily be put in a classroom lesson when you're planning, like a doing one of your PowerPoints or something, that those examples can be put in there, and that's nothing that's difficult for anybody to do. And I think as well that helps for the pupils that, because not all of them are going to be competent and all these have have a, a vast experience in sport. So if you're linking these examples to life, maybe experiencing anxiety when going to the dentist or um, before an interview or something like that, just off the top of my head, then they're going to be able to relate to that maybe more than within a sport. If if there's pupils that aren't competent in sport or they don't have a, a lot of experience in it as well. So I think that's a, a really key one for me anyway. But no, I think you've, you've shared a, a good load there, Aaron, but I'm quite conscious of the time just now. So um, we'll move on to the next question. Um, after obviously sharing all your kind of teaching strategies there from your book, which are a real variety, how do you suggest we increase teacher confidence then within National 5 and higher PE? Have you got any kind of top tips that you'd share with the, the people listening?
3: Do you want me to take that, or do you want Johnny to?
0: Uh,
2: whoever. I I can start if you want, Aaron, and then you can you, you can finish it. Um, some some wee things I would say are I, I know we were talking about you know practical and v theory earlier on, and I I would say don't forget we are a practical subject and. and you know, with lockdown, I do think it's an area that's going to be neglected and, and people are not going to have had as much practical experience, you know, at uni and in schools as they would have um, beforehand. Um, you know, I, and even when I was doing the PT, PT of P, I kind of felt there was times where you were getting students that maybe weren't as passionate about developing their knowledge across all sports and they were maybe happy to stay in their comfort zone of, of one or two. And I brought up a guy in Boness, and he was, you know, he's 50 years old and he was just unbelievable, like at any sport. Um, and, it, and, you know, I just initialised to kind of think, oh, he's, he's so lucky, you know, he's, he's able, to be able to be this good at everything. And I, I chatted away with him about how he's so good at badminton. And he was like, well, uh, I wasn't any good at badminton. So I joined a badminton club and played there for years so that I could be good. And, and he, you know, that was the same for, like, basketball, gymnastics, trampolines we had in Buenos, You know, you could do anything. And, it, you know, to the point where it was annoying for everyone because no one could beat him at anything. Um, you know, so, so I, I would really sort of stress the importance of trying to develop your practical knowledge in loads of sports so that you can understand how to perform the skills and then you can teach the skills to kids so that, you know, we don't just have... I call them. I'm just being a bit facetious here, but I call them like Butlin's lessons. Where, you know, where people come and just like you know, muck about for for a period, because you know every every lesson you you teach, I think the kids should go away learning at least one thing. You know, whether that's a new skill or how to you know playing a game. You know, tactically, but learn something from that lesson. Um, and then obviously with regards to theory, <clears throat> which I know we're, we're, we're kind of focusing on a lot here with regards to book. Um, the, the areas that I, I always tried to focus on loads when I was delivering PE was uh, the command words so you know use this book that, that Aaron written. written, um, teach the kids how to structure the answer so that they they understand each type of question, how to get marks for a describe and explain and evaluate um, I, I, we did that in the higher at S, you know we, we realised that that was a weakness and we really really drilled how to answer using the, the command words the other, the other big bit of advice I would say is streamline what you're actually teaching. Um, how many gather information methods do you actually need to teach? You know, I, I know loads of PE teachers that maybe teach three or four per factor. But how many do you need? The, the answer's two. You know, so so we got a bit clever with it and taught the profiling wheel and a questionnaire that could be adapted for all the four factors. Um, and then the kids only have to learn two different methods. Um, I'm not saying you don't teach the others and don't do bleep tests with them, but just put the, put the pressure on remembering how to do a describe, explain, evaluate, or justify on no, on those two those two examples, and, and and the kids are laughing. You know, they've got much better chance of retaining that information. Um, I also think you should follow the Rosenshine principles of instruction. I said earlier on we were trained in an era where you know you weren't meant to deliver, you weren't meant to teach or speak. It was you know. Go, go on your phone and look at how to do a layup and see if you can copy it. Um, but we're moving away from, from that now. And, you know, it's always been clear to me that whenever you learn something new, it needs to be delivered in clear, small steps with opportunities for practice and feedback, you know, and keep trying again. And the last thing I would advise is that, you know, you conquer any behavioral issues you have as a teacher, you know, because, I don't know if you've heard of a lot of them Sam Strickland, you know, he's a, a favorite of mine. And he what he says is white noise is a kryptonite to a positive learning environment. And I'm sure some of you will also be aware of the whole Paul Dix v. Tom Bennett, you know, what's the best way to behave, behave strategy and you know, all that kind of thing. Um, that's probably for another podcast, but I really do agree with Tom Bennett when he says that routines are like the superpower of every teacher. Um, and that means ensuring that everyone knows what they're expected to do in your classrooms, your corridors without thinking, because if you have got a good routine within your class, it, it saves so much time. It helps you deal with low level behavior. And I, I just think it makes teaching easier. So I suppose that sums up any advice I would have for you to try and help. And I think if you could, you could apply those things, um, you know, it would give you a good chance of doing well with the, uh, with with the
0: certificated courses. Right, Johnny, thanks very much for sharing that. Um can't we you've got to ask something
1: there. I don't know about you, but we didn't get enough of that in, in uni. I know Aaron spoke about this as well the other day with me. We didn't get enough behaviour management, CPD in uni. I don't know about you, Johnny, but in, even in terms of national five and higher, I didn't get much. Um, so this is some, ah. that's something I've learned over, over the years, is behaviour management is massive, today's and. Oh, it's
2: huge. If you if, if you think about all the wee times that you know like you know taking five or six minutes to get a class to listen and
1: Definitely. settle
2: down and transitions between activities yeah. you know you know that that was that that's a killer for for people when they first start because they're wanting to move on to something else but it takes you so long to get the demo done and you know whatever you're trying to do um, yeah if you if you can get strategies and I just think routines what I said they're like non-negotiables yeah. what what are what are the non-negotiables you have in your class. What are your say? Your three non-negotiables for me. It was like kids being late. I had to be there seven minutes after the bell. Uh, didn't matter where they were in the school. Seven minutes in in the hall. No chewing gum, um, and no talking when I'm tra- when I'm when I'm talking and delivering. Three simple things, but it made a huge huge difference because once the kids kids are clever, once once they uh, they know how far they can go, mm-hmm. they'll keep doing it. So. You know, if once you settle settle a class in, and, you, and they understand your routines day to day, you end up getting a lot more from them. But if you if you don't settle them in and you don't let them know what your non negotiables are, you're going to have a horrendous year with your class. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've all been there. We've all had bad classes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not talking. I'm not trying to talk as if you know. I, I've had shocking classes and made mistakes. You know, it's just just the way the way it is. But those shocking classes were my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they weren't the classes' fault. They were they were my fault because I I didn't do enough work to work out how to you know like you say there. You, you don't get taught that in uni. So it was my responsibility as a teacher to go and find out a bit more about you know how to how to deal with discipline in a class. Ask experienced teachers. You know and. You know, I, I, eventually I did do that, but, you know, not before I had a, a few shocking
0: experiences with classes when I first started, you know? Yeah, I think it's always, certainly when I was doing at, at my postgrad and that, it was all, my fear was always, like, having the classes and expecting, like, the the, the worst, like, the high tariff behaviour was going to be, like, the worst, but it is, like, that white noise. It's, like, the constant mm-hmm. disruptive behaviour that's the one that gets right under your skin and disrupts a lesson, essentially, and from anything happening. It just wastes so much time because P I- lessons are so... Short as it is, so I think that
2: was because a big high tariff incident will get dealt with naturally. Mm-hmm. Because you know, if it's something huge like that, you know, it'll get dealt with. But that constant hum of talking when you're talking, yeah. uh, and not paying attention is really hard to overcome, yeah, absolutely.
1: Right, moving on to the last uh, question, I'm going to come to Arne first for this one. Uh, so just to finish off for the, the students who are listening in, what is your advice, Arne? For how to teach physical education moving forward um as we kind of come out of post COVID and get back to school. Um what I mean by this is kind of looking at the BGE as well. Um do we I know you're you've spoken a lot about social and emotional needs rather than skills. And sometimes you think um it's maybe went too far one we? way. Um so if you can maybe just sum up any advice you've got for anyone that you can take with them away from the podcast tonight?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think um I think for me, I I think I've went full circle as well. When I first started that, I'm not afraid to admit that I was BMT daft, it was all better movers, thinkers, and there's a place for that, by the way. That it is a tool, it is a useful tool, but it's not the toolbox. There's a variety of different tools that we need to be using when delivering PE depending on our context and also depending on what we want to teach. I think as well as that, I think we always need to be mindful of what's, we need to remember who we are, all right? I I know people always talk about the pupils and pupil-centered and I know the rest of it, but we're PE, all right? We're PE teachers and at the top of our pathway, if we look there first, the top of our pathway where we're judged, the top of our pathway, these kids need to be getting as close to 60 marks as possible in two activities, 30 in each. You know, they get assessed in that. All right, so there has to be skill development there. We're part of a pathway. They can't mm-hmm. just start learning these skills in third year and fourth year. They need to be learning these skills and movement competencies well before that. Um, you know, it's all context dependent as well. You know, I think this is where pathways comes in, and it's one of the things that I know Gary Curringham at uh, Queen Anne spoke quite passionately about. And it's different pathways in terms of you've got a comp- you've got a comp- uh, competitive pathway
1: mm-hmm.
3: and what you do there is that's your kids who will be your national fives the kids who love sport the, co- the kids who love competition the kids who will do higher and, and and that pathway is all about developing the skill level of them pupils within a com- competitive element now you pick sales in there that ties in with them that matches their needs respect and tolerance being a big one that matches those kids you know um, motivation matches those kids. How to control your motivation should be safe. You know, um, and then looking at the, the gross and fine motor skills, looking at your balance and control, your kinesthetic awareness, looking at all these things develop these pupils because that's what they want. That's what their interest is. Okay. Um, but then you've also got those who aren't too keen on that. You know, just that's them that, and that's okay. And that doesn't mean they're excluded as such. That is where, you know, when I refer to what Gary spoke about in second, third year, they become part of a a participation pathway. When you look at that more holistic development, when you look at how we develop these individuals, we won't maybe, you know, we make their skill level better, great. But we look at developing them as people, look at developing them as learners, look at developing them socially and emotionally. You know, and, and, and success for us there is that they might not go and sit in that five and higher. But see if they were to play Bam at him and they leave school for fun. That that's good for us. If they were to engage in an active lifestyle, that's that's success for us.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so have two different pathways then, competitive and kind of leadership pathway.
3: I think you've got an aesthetic one as well. Again, mm-hmm. for those who, who have that interest to go down the dance route. I'm not saying you do this in first year. It might be that you start these in elective classes in second and third year. Um, but at some point you have to move from this broad general education. There has to be a bit more specialisation based upon who the pupils are. Um, and, and that's the one thing that I would I would say to, to students that I got caught, caught up in the mistake I made. Fife Council used to go on and on and on about BMT. Every inset was BMT. So I became brainwashed with it. It was good. It, it worked. But I, I became too focused on that.
1: Mm-hmm. So honestly, like going I, back to what you were saying, sorry, I'm just... When you're teaching your National Five content like you pick one thing, you teach it four different ways. It's almost like you need to have more than just the BMT approach.
3: Yeah, if I, the best way I could I could put it out there was that people made out that that teach that BMT was the toolbox rather than a tool. So everything was to be BMT, and and that's not the way. It's got to be different things. The, that's the thing that you'll f- find in education. There's always going to be fads. There's always going to be, whether that's in PE or wider education. Right now, I think Kate Jones has got about 45 million books out about the same thing, you know? Says the same thing every time, but that's the fad. You know, it's good, but it's not the only thing. You know, and, and it's the same in PE. There are fads that happen. And I think as as my time, and, and I've only been teaching six years, by the way. I've not been teaching a, a great length of time. There's lots I need to learn but I've learnt more now about why I wanted to be a PE teacher and that's now reflecting who I am as a PE teacher.
1: Well, we, right, thanks for um, the advice there, uh, Arne, and I'm sure those of those who are listening will take a lot from it. I love what you said about the, the pathways and your thoughts on that and just come back to your earlier answer, the the strategies that you were talking about, really creative and engaging strategies. Uh, I'm sure it would be good to be in the class, and I imagine it would be enjoyable and motivating uh, because you're you're not just getting them to write out PowerPoints and rote learning, so well done on that. Um, just before we move on, Johnny, I'm going to ask, there's been a question in the chat box just before we finish off, um, about how do you overcome the low-level disruption in your class? Um, I can ask this to both of you, feel free to um, chip in here. Um, you're, you're talking about the behaviour management side of it. How's Have you got any kind of tips that you would share? Um,
2: yeah, so, I mean, as I said, I had clear, like, non-negotiables that I used to talk through the class with when I first started about what my expectations were. I tried to not make that make it an exhaustive list because I think then kids just get a bit um, confused. But then I also, put um, when kids were, you know, having that little white noise or, or, or that, um, you know, talking when I'm talking, Um I didn't. I hated the thought of my kids going to school and and having a teacher and the debating things with kids in classrooms. So I kind of had this three warning policy that I had with the kids. Um, you know, I, and there'll be behaviour experts out there that will say, "Oh, that's wrong," or you know, you shouldn't go about things that way. And what I would say is, you've got to do what's right for you. Um, and you get a lot of you know people that are maybe into their Paul Dicks side of things that don't want give kids out, and, and I'll say things like, "Just ignore the." ignore the behavior but but when that happens in a PE environment I just think you're doomed for disaster mm, so I, I safety wise you name it so I, I had like a three strike policy where I would I would give the kid a warning and then I would just move on with my teaching but the kid wouldn't I would, I would make it clear that I'd say to the kid like that's your first warning and then the second time I would say that's your second warning can you go and stand outside and I would leave them outside and I would teach and then I would go and have your your restorative conversation with them. And then if it, if it got to the third time, the, that, the people would go and get changed. And then within our department, there was like a lunchtime detention that they would do like a kind of reflective task uh, during that detention. And it was a simple system that everyone in the department was able to follow. Um, and it really, really, really improved the behavior within the school because Everybody, every kid knew they'd get treated exactly the same by all the teachers in the department. And um, don't get me wrong, we still had our massive flare-ups. You know, kids fighting, things like that that happen in every uh, PE lesson. But the, that that white noise and that that mucking about, you know, was kind of eliminated from, you know, from classes. Um, but a lot of that as well comes with you. You guys will know it comes with experience as well. Yeah it's not if you're a student and you're going into school it's quite hard to you know you have to have a relationship with these people before you can before you can have these uh these things that work well you know and i remember going in on s as the pt kids were like who's this guy and started testing me the whole time and um it took me a while to be i suppose accepted in, in the school and like like it does in any new school and um, so I, what I would say to the people listening is don't don't kind of despair if you if you're finding it you you know things aren't working for you initially stick with it but have a but have a clear system that you want to follow and don't be swayed on it um because people will come and tell you you know re- read when adults change everyone changes that kind of stuff and you know adopt this model but you know you've got to be comfortable with your you know, with the model you're, you're adopting, and I have a certain way about me of, of doing it. You guys will have a, a a way that you guys deal with your classes. That the bottom line is, as long as it's successful, mm-hmm. but, you know that that's what that's what you're looking for. But that's my way.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, no. Um, I like what you said about the speaking to the. Um. Obviously, having the kind of three staged approach to it with the warnings. Um. What I what I sometimes do is like try and speak to the individuals who are, you know, low level. Disruption, we were displaying that behaviour and trying to speak to them individually rather than in front of the group sometimes that's just what they're looking for. So, I like pull, pull, pull them aside once the group's back working again. So, um, Aaron, I
3: think, um, I, <laughs> I think I'm think i very similar to Johnny to an extent. Um, you know, as I talked about fads there, Paul Dix is a huge fad at the minute, um, and every school seems to be promoting his book. Um, certainly, I've heard of anyway, but. For me, and this is just my opinion, and again, it ties on what Johnny said about being comfortable with who you are as a person, as a teacher, and what your values are. I don't think his ways, in my opinion, when I've tried them, help us produce responsible citizens as directed by the CFE. You know, at the end of the day, if, if we ignore a uh, people who's mucking around, you know, we allow them to think that that's acceptable, and mm-hmm. they be- that becomes a habit, then... That, what's going to stop them doing that on the first day of a, of a job? And they get sacked.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there needs, con- needs to be consequences, doesn't there? Of, of course there is.
3: <laughs> there has to be consequences. If you, if you turn up late to your work, you get disciplined. If you, if you if you do things wrong at your work, you get disciplined. If you do something wrong in society, the police get involved. There has to still be consequences. I'm not being old school. I'm just being realistic. There still has to be consequences. Um I think that the way I work, and again, there's people here who know me, is, is I'm all about, you know, building those relationships. In terms of, you know, I, I, I want my kids to enjoy coming to my classes. When we talk about non-negotiables, I'll try and involve the kids in that process. What do we think our non-negotiables are? Try and get them to take ownership of it too. Um, I do that more with my Nat Fives and Highers, I'm being honest, but I've done it with a couple of BG classes, and 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 they know. That's the thing they know. They know that a non-negotiable don't talk when the teacher talks. Just little things like that show respect. Okay, they know that. All mm. right? So the fact that they can then state that, that and then they need to take responsibility for that. But relationships are are definitely massive. However, you know, it's a, respect is a two-way street. You know, if you treat me with respect, then great, I will have a laugh with you. I will, I will have a bit of banter with you. But it's a two-way street, the same as it is in society.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, and as well as that, I think once you've got that relationship, what you then find is that the pupils will work for you. They'll bring their kit for you. Well, they're more likely to bring their kit. yourself something they always will, but they're more likely to. Um, they're more likely to behave for you. And they're more likely to engage in your subject, um, you know. and Which is what we want. Exactly. And then through increased engagement comes increased attainment and increased, you know, physical, mental well-being benefits that are associated with our subject.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so, no, I, I agree with Johnny. I think getting those non-negotiables is key. Involving them in doing are also key, but also having that balance of that there are there are consequences, you know, and you've got to earn the right to have me having a bit pattern with you as well the relationship doesn't just come with me having banter with you and you keep taking the mickey out of me that's not the way it works it's not the way it works in society
1: mm-hmm.
3: so we need to prepare these kids for life as well as school
1: 100% so Emma it was Emma Noble that asked the question so she said thank you I think it's something that will get easier with time once relationships are made um, and then Morgan's also put a strategy that she's used standing near a pupil um, who is chatting has also helped in my classes so that's another couple of things that you can take away. Right, Moving on to the final question, we'll get to that eventually. Um, what advice would you give, um, this is for Johnny just to finish us off, any advice you've got Johnny for, for the student teachers in terms of involving themselves within the whole school ethos? I always remember when I was at uni, um <coughs> always get involved with as many opportunities as you can outside the PE department as well, just to get to know the kids in a different, different light.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the easy thing for me to say is that what you've just said there, the standard line of like, you know, get involved with the whole, whole school ethos, getting do some CLPL in the school, do extracurricular if you can, um, become an important member of the school community. I think all of those things are incredibly important and, and I think you should do all of those things. But, but something I think that gets missed a little bit um, is my main bit of advice would be for you to try and have a real good think about what the school ethos is and then decide if you want to be associated with it. Um, What I mean by that is, you know, I think in teaching, we have quite a good relationship with blame, you know, so um, you'll have heard that yourself, guys, you know, everyone, you know, that class, the results of that class were, were rubbish because the kids were terrible, or mm. the, you know the SLT in the school are, are terrible, or you, you maybe hear the SLT moaning about teachers in the school, and it, it just becomes a a massive um, blame game. And I I'm, I kind of believe that blaming a uh, blame is a way of giving up control. Um, and whilst I know many of you have had less experiences. Um, I really hope that when you when you do get into school you don't get sucked into that that kind of blame game um because then I, as i said i just think you're giving up control and then responsibility and if we can try our best to try and live in a world you know the people take full responsibility for what's happening in their lives and it um i think gives you the opportunity to be more successful so schools can be dead dead negative places you know, like you go to a staff room and you, you sit in the staff room at break and, and you try and find, find something positive in that room. And so, sometimes it's hard. So my, my, my advice would be to try and surround yourself with positive people. Um, there are probably loads of them in schools, but they're probably the silent majority. Um, but realise that, you know, your, your career and, and your future is on you it's nobody else's fault you know you know if you're not if you don't get the job or you don't get promoted or you can't control a class you are in charge of your actions you know and listen I I used to be a bit like that I used to be negative and blamey and then I realized that myself and thought you know none of these people that are you know are here are are actually influencing my career so it's on me you know, so if if I want to do well, if I want to get a principal teacher job, I'm going to do all I can to do the right things in my school, and at authority level, national level, you know, to make sure I can get that. So my main advice would be, you know, yes, you want to be involved in the in the whole school ethos, but you know, find it, find and cling on to the people in the school that are are positive surround yourself with them and, I, and then I think you'll end up, you know, being really good teachers and, and have like a real positive impact on the lives of young people.
1: Brilliant, Johnny. Um, really good way he finishes off. I loved what you said about responsibility and you have to take that individual responsibility because I find myself sometimes um, the same as you kind of blaming and or saying that's not, for my, that's not my job, that's for somebody else to do it. But if I can really do it, then I should probably just do it and get it done. <laughs> Um, take responsibility so no thanks for thanks everyone for joining us tonight um, we really mean it at the start when we said that we want you to take something away from tonight there's lots in there, lots of creative strategies for Aaron um, some whole school there, some whole school advice and action to take as well when you go back to school um, so something might just be something so small but just experiment with it, test it out and your own practice and reflect on it and move on and refine it, this is how um, I'm sure the four of us have learned and just find out what works for you and what doesn't work for your context so we will email, email out if you don't mind a short evaluation of how tonight's session's been um, and we would be grateful if you could fill it out uh, this will provide us with feedback for our next webinar if, um, which should be coming out uh, pretty soon if we can get get it tied down so keep an eye out for that and I just want to just extend thanks to uh, the main part of the show, Alan Anderson and, and John McQuitter, um, couldn't have done it without you so thanks very much for that no problem, guys.
0: Good, guys.